Well, good afternoon, Samuel. It's great to uh, be here continuing our discussion around the Ten Commandments. That's right. And we are up to one of those interesting ones. Yes. <laughs> which I think is number seven. It's commandment number, number seven. Number seven, which is thou shalt not commit adultery. That's right. Mm. And yes, so that's that's a commandment uh, we're up at. Uh, just as a matter of honour for God's word, I would like to get everybody just grab your Bible so we can read it. It's it seems just simply very um, very short and sweet and straightforward. Yes, and and straightforward. So we are in Exodus, which is uh, the the text we've been looking at. And so if you open your Bible, we're in Exodus chapter twenty. And we are looking at the uh, seventh commandment, which is verse 14. Mm. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Now, this is a very interesting uh, place to start uh, because uh, of the nature of this particular commandment and the 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 place where we find ourselves in in our culture today yes um it is a very very interesting commandment and there are a number of points that need to be made in terms of linking these commands so that you can see that every success successive commandment every commandment that comes after the commandment that we've just finished has a link the commandment after has got a, a direct link to the commandment before it. Yes. Remember when we got to commandment number five, which was the, the command that links the rest of the command from the, you know, vertical commandments. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm the Lord your God. That's a commandment number one. You know, there shall not be to you the God of orders. Uh, it's commandment number two. And commandment number three is you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Mm -hmm. And uh, commandment number four, you shall honor the Sabbath. Yeah, and uh, commandment five: honor your father and mother. And commandment six is: you shall not commit murder. Mm -hmm. And and then commandment number seven: you shall not commit adultery. Mm -hmm. Now, when you look at, I said like commandment number five linked the uh, the first four, which were vertical in the creation of a society, because father and mother is the space within which life is created. Human society starts with families, correct? Yeah. So you need a man and a woman to start that family. Naturally, before we get into where we are at in our society now, we probably, you know, we, we, we pretty much a, a, a very, very uh, sort of, uh, you know, a, a society filled with pride to the degree where we think we can pervert, have own, we can pervert the ways of God that was set naturally. Uh, for the bringing of children in the world so that then when the children come into the world, they learn how society operates by the honor they bestow upon their parents because their parents represent God. Yeah, you, you get that? So that's what we, we did say that. Yeah. And then we moved on from there. Now that there are other people than just you, because there's your parents and there's huge children in each family unit, now there's a... Uh, the, the scripture forbids, you know, taking the life of another human being. So, to live in a society where everybody can be free and be able to display the glory of God, then the taking of human life 
is the is actually the if the, if if you want to talk in terms of crimes is the highest. Yes, the highest crime is the taking of of another human's life without justification. Mm -hmm. Why? Because as we we read in Genesis chapter nine verse six. The prohibition for not taking human life was because man is made in the image of God. So that's why man has intrinsic worth, intrinsic value, not instrumental value. We talked about that. And we did say that murder was not just simply, you know, the physical, biological murder, which is because we think like that because we're so physicalist. We think man is only this body. No, man is not. The, man is the soul and the spirit. So when Jesus mentions and said the devil was a murderer from the beginning, it's not that the devil literally killed Adam's physical body. No, he murdered Adam's spirit. Yes. He separated Adam's spirit from the source of life, which is God, mm. and so attributed to Adam an identity that Adam was not uh, made, 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 made with. And so, therefore, the acceptance to go in a direction of any definition other than the definition God had given to man is the image of God, the heir of all creation, the one who was the governor of all things that God had made, then... Adam had murdered, uh, uh, the devil had murdered Adam. Yeah. And since then, he continually murdered human beings on and on and on and on. Mm. So, uh, and so in that sense, we found that the murdering of the soul, you see, the information he gave to Adam entered his soul and it had the consequence of separating his spirit from the spirit of God. Yeah. So in that sense, whatever information enter in the soul of man, that doesn't lead the man into the direction that is godly, that is attached to the source of life, is murdering that soul. Mm. And so this is why you see Jesus saying, if you call, you say somebody idiot, you know, or you say useless, raka, mm. you know, fool, you know, you are in danger of hell. That was that clear. Yes. So in that sense, when we were finishing the program, for those who were with us on that program that Sunday, that's about it's, you know one Sunday ago, because yeah. last Sunday we did Christmas. Uh, they they heard me say a few things toward the end of the program. I said, where we are right now as society, every piece of information that is introduced in the soul of man. I can think of one, for example, the idea that men can't be men as God made them. You know, people are born in wrong bodies. Yes. All right? Mm. This way of speaking is as though it falls, it faults the creator. Mm. It tells the human being, we know better. We know the creator made a mistake. Yeah. Do you remember the devil said exactly the same? The creator lied to you. Yeah. The creator is not perfect. The creator, is, and so we say, well, you were born in the wrong, but who is born in the body? If it's quite a bit of a bizarre mix, if we don't believe there's spirits and there's souls, we don't. Mm. We're physicalists, right? We are materialists, and yet we turn around and tell people that they were born in wrong bodies. Yeah. So if the body is not you. Who was born in that body? <laughs> I know. It, it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. That's right. Yeah. Why? Because we have espoused ideas 
that are dangerous to the identity of us. If you look at where we are right now, I mean, you're thinking, well, you're going to talk about the not committed adultery. Where are you starting there? Because that preceding commandment has an implication in the next one. Yes. So we say to people that they're born in wrong body. We assume the position of his sovereign to correct his sovereign by attributing to human beings identities other than the identity that God is. So, Anyone who has taught this, who has convinced other human beings right now to not only believe this and go to the point of denying the way the Creator had made them to pursue other identity than the one God gave them, this person is actually, unfortunately, the people that have followed, followed them are victims, but the people who are teaching this are actually committing murder in the soul of these people. Yeah. This is very serious. Yeah, it is very serious. And, and the, I mean, the other side of that is that that's taken to the next level where that person then physically mutilates the body that they were given and that's created right. with that's to right. make it look like something else. But biologically, they are exactly the same as they were created. Yeah, not, not only biologically. But their soul yeah. carries that identity it of does. being yeah. you know, made in the image of God and in that sense. So that is... The way to look, and I did talk about, you know, the promotion of euthanasia, you know, considering people as a means to an end rather than an ending in themselves. So we talk about quality of life, and if you don't have that quality of life, it's okay to go and take your own life. And the physicians and doctors start to facilitate that. The belief that your, your life is as instrumental value, if you don't have this quality of life, therefore your life is not worth living, is itself a murder of the soul. Yeah. So two things I just pinpointed. It was at the end of the program, and I said it just quickly as passing. Yes. And so then we move into this particular commandment, which is the next commandment. The, the purpose of this command was the safeguard for families. This is the commandment that safeguard the family. You remember the commandment before it was safeguarding lives that were born out of these families. Mm. Because these lives are going to form families too. Yes. So now, God wants to safeguard because the multiplication of families is what makes a culture, a society, mm. a nation, a world. There'd be no world if there are no families where fathers yeah, and mothers, or men and women, get together, have a child, and then from that child... Uh, they raise that child in the ways of God and that child then get to know their identity in God. Then they go ahead and procreate and raise their kids in the ways of God. That's how you end up with a God world. Mm. So the commandments were meant to create a God world. And so therefore, to make sure that the families are safeguarded, the element that makes family family in terms of husband and wife the one thing that God set aside and apart and basically sanctified is sexuality, mm. sexual engagement. Very, very sacred. So God set that apart. Why? Because it's the means by which he introduces human beings in the world. Yeah. Therefore, it is the most sacred act in the whole of the universe. I'm making this statement very clearly. So the commandments say, do not pervert it. Mm. Do not use it immorally. Do not use it any other way than 
the way I have prescribed it to be used because it is sacred and sanctified. So the do not commit adultery uh, commandment is one of the most sacred commandments among these commands. Well, it is great to be able to discuss these things at this level mm. and, uh, and it's great that you've opened this up in this particular way and shown how it all follows up. So we'll come back after a short break and we will continue this great discussion on Thou Shalt Not Commit Adultery. Amen. 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 Amen.
You're listening to 105.1 Life FM, Bendigo's Positive Choice, and we are continuing our conversation around the Ten Commandments. And Samuel, we are opening up the commandment about committing adultery. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Yep. So I'll let you continue on because you you sort of did a bit of a backstory just before the break. And we are now going to fully look at what that really means in the context of God's law. That's right. Now, I was saying that, you see, when you read these commandments, the prohibition, the prohibition itself is assumptions of what is permitted. Because the prohibition sets the boundaries. Think about it. They shall not be to you the God of orders. Is is the implication you are allowed to only worship the God of heaven, the one that created created all things. That's right. Him alone that you worship. You won't take the God of orders. Uh, When you say, for example, the commandment uh, that uh, you know, just 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 you know, giving you. Uh, and a number of these, you know, you shall not commit murder. Mm. Uh, it means that any taking of life must be justified. There is cases, this is why we did say it's not thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit murder, yeah. because murder is defined, is the unjustified taking uh, of uh, unjustified taking life of an innocent person. Mm. So, Without divine justification, of course, and we have two justifications. It has to be just war or self-defense, and it's really the war must be just. (laughs) Okay, so we we, we did that. So in this case, when it says "do not commit adultery," we start by what is adultery? What what is what is the definition? What is adultery? Adultery is the use of sexuality outside the context within which it was defined, okay, within which it must be properly used. Mm. Uh, What is that context? The context is that men and women were created. So God made men and women. Uh, He made them in the image of God. Uh, He he created them. And so the two would therefore be um, the, the, the engagement of sexuality is permitted only between a male and a female in a bond of marriage. Yeah. Where do you uh, get this? You start from the beginning, because when he's talking to these people, they know what he's talking about. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 to 28, and I'll show you why, uh, you know, sexuality is sacred. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, 28, you know, the Bible says, and God, the Lord said, let's make man according to his, our image in our resemblance. He created them male and female. He created them. Mm. And then you read verse chapter, 20, uh, chapter 2, verse 24. And it says, for this reason, a man shall leave his, his you know, parents yeah. and shall be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. Mm. Okay. So this text you find here, uh, Jesus actually quotes this same um, text when he was asked the question on divorce. Yes. And he, uh, he starts by saying, didn't you read uh, in the beginning that the one who made them made them male and female? And for this reason, a man shall live and shall cleave unto his wife, shall leave his parents, cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Mm. Okay? So, it the 
the use of sexuality from a biblical standpoint, and this, beca- this has become anathema in our culture today because we move the boundary where it used to be. The use of sexuality is only permitted when it is man and a woman in the bond of marriage. That is the only context within which human sexuality can be experienced. This is why this commandment was do not commit adultery because that is basically the closest you can go, the closest you can go in terms of breaking this command is for a man to go and unite himself with another woman that they're not married to, mm. a woman to unite herself with another man they're not married to. That one is a way straightforward. Yeah. Everything else out of that is deviation. Mm. Consider adultery to be like hatha, okay, which is sin. Yeah. And, you know, I said that when we talked about the, you know, sin, uh, transgression, and, and iniquity, iniquity yeah. consider adultery to be hata, sin. You know, someone is wandered out of the marital bed and slept with somebody else of the same gender as their spouse, men with women, women with men, and they have committed hata. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay, so God is establishing, you guys know where the boundary is, don't do hata. Mm. He's not even thinking, don't go to Avon. Avon is deviation. Yeah. Because when a man and a woman uh, get together sexually, their body functions were made for that. Yes. Basically, the body function that engage in sexuality, that is their purpose. Mm. They are meant for that. Now, we did, I did say, I'm going to show you why sexuality is, is sacred. Uh, I established that there were three fundamental uh, bases or reasons for human sexuality. Number one. Number one, sexuality was the purpose for the purpose of oneness. The purpose of oneness. Yeah. The two shall become, become one, one flesh. Yeah. Yeah. It is only in the bond of sexuality that the two becomes one flesh. Yeah. How do I know that? Well, you read Apostle Paul, he's a Jew, Jewish yeah. rabbi, mm. and he is, you know, he knows exactly what the Torah says, yeah. and he is explaining this Torahic, uh, if you will, uh, uh, this Torah concept to the church of Corinth. Yeah. So you go to First Corinthians chapter 6, and you are reading, uh, I think it's uh, toward um, uh, verse 18, here is uh, the way he writes it. Flee from sexual immorality. Basically, the use of sex in, outside of its moral context. Yeah, it's moral and the moral context of the use of sexuality is men and women in a bond of marriage. marriage yeah. That's it. Yeah. The Bible is so clear about this. There is no other confined outside of yeah. this. So, it therefore establishes all all the sins a man commits are outside the body. But this one, whoever sins sexually, sins against their own body. Mm. They use the body outside of the context. All right? Yeah. At which sexuality was defined. 
So do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received? You are not your own, but you were bought with a price. Therefore, honor, your, honor God with your body. So this oneness honors God. The reason why human beings need to unite in sexuality because of oneness. And if you go just a verse a little bit before that, because we read, never read the Bible verse, is, here is something that uh, Apostle Paul makes the point here. Now, he said, you say food for the stomach and the stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality. Your body is not meant for engagement sexually with someone else other than the person you're married to. Yeah. But for the Lord, and the Lord for the body, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. So he's tying this, don't sin against your body, because the body is for the Lord, and the Lord will raise the body from the dead. So he's making the point, tying the resurrection, which was the most honored, if you will, hope within a Christian context. So then he goes on to say, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? That's how sacred your sexuality is. Because sinning sexually is dishonoring the body that belongs to the Lord. That's the point he's making here. Shall I then take the members of Christ's body and unite them with a prostitute? Mm. With somebody other than my spouse? Never, never, he says. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute becomes one with her? Yeah. Wow. So Apostle Paul is using the two shall become one flesh. He even makes that point. Just for it is written, the two shall become one flesh. He has used the text in two, uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And the text that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 19, he uses it as a case against sexual immorality here. Yeah. Why? Because the first element or the first meaning and reason for sexuality is the unity of the two who are in the image of God which then they're coming back together reflects the full image of God. Yeah. Remember I did say earlier on that when we see Adam so the way Adam you know uh, means humanity in Hebrew and Adam means man as well. So when Adam was made Right in him, there was Eve. Where did Eve come from? Mm. From, from the rib. Yeah. The biblical imagery there is to say, basically, the one, the man that God made there, had in him, uh, in that, that humanity, in that. That's yeah. it. So that Eve was just one part of him, put, brought out so the two can unite, and then from the two, humanity can continue to flow. Yeah. So in that sense, when the two unite sexually, the first thing it does is it, it brings a, a, about what the Jews call a heart. You know, if you hear the Shema, Shema O Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Echad is the unity. The unity that you find within the divinity. The Son, the, fa- the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are Echad, the one. Mm-hmm. So the two shall become one flesh, the two shall become Echad. Mm-hmm. It is a sacred union sacred unity. Mm. 
And to use sexuality outside this context is to desacralize it. It's so, it's 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 serious. Yeah. Skip that as a as a point in mind. Yeah. Pur- first purpose of sexuality is the unity of the couple, which represent the unity of God. Of God. Ehad. All right. Well, uh, we'll come back and discuss that a little bit further in just a couple of minutes. So we're back. And Samuel, um, you opened up that whole idea that um, that the two become one is is similar to what uh, you were, how the Bible describes the Trinity, your Father, Son and Holy Spirit, the three are three in one. Yes. Um, and it, this is reflected in marriage, in, in the creation of human beings mm. um, that Adam had within him Eve um, and then when God separated Eve physically from Adam in the body, then when they came together in uh, in intimacy, yes. then they became one in in a similar way. Mm. In that sense, that um, that 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 God is one, we are one. He's created us like that, so that 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 is a reflection of who He is, and it's part of the character of God or That's part right. of the image of God. That's right. That we That's right. that we see in that relationship. That's right. And 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 just just opening that up because you know. It's one thing often, you know, when you read you read about you know sexuality, uh, you know, when it's written by Christian 
you know, ministers or Christian writers, you know, or even sexuality generally, it always starts with an always negative tone. It's like the, you know, the church is anti-sexuality, you know. Shout, church, not, shout, not, yeah, shout, it's not. always like, well, nobody yeah. talks about all the beauty of it and da 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 mm. Well, now, since we talk about the commandment, it implies or it assumes a proper use of the, the of sexuality. So let's talk about it. So that people know what we're talking about, do not you know, if we can delineate the clear boundaries, then we can see where the deviations are, okay? Yeah. yeah. And so, the, as I was saying, sexuality is sacred because it unites the people who engage into it. It basically, the two become one. It is this deeper one. It's not the one like, oh, yeah, we hang out, we have fun. No, it is basically a deeper one. You live into one another. You become, if, if anything, basically, uh, you know, sexuality is, is beautiful and it's, it's sacred to that level because you don't, it's not, it's that, like if you look at, if you, if you consider that your body is a temple, right? Yeah. If your body is a temple, mm-hmm. And you, because Apostle Paul uses that language, and you take the temple had the outer court, the you know the where everybody basically stayed, the outer court and the inner court, and then you've got the the holies, and then the holiest of hall, and that's where basically the ark of the covenant was, right? Yeah. That's where the ark of the that's the the holiest of all places. So so it, it, sexuality is is so so um uh, so sacred that entering in that intimate moment where these seemingly that looks like just simply you know you know body parts but they are so sanctified by God that the engagement between the two is like the entrance in the holiest of all yeah this is why you don't just do it with anyone you don't just let anybody get into your sacred place it is the mo- and and we know this we know this people have tried to use what they call casual sex or one sex. It, there is no such a thing as casual sex. Sex, sexuality, sex is good. It's like I had, I had a, a, a uh, one apology saying sex, sexuality is like fire. You know, you put it in the right place, it warms you up, and you know, it warms your house. It cooks your meal. It makes your life really nice and comfortable. You put it in the wrong place, it burns your house down. Yes, you know, there's a sacred way. You know, it's like that wisdom thing, you know, what you do, how, when you do it, with whom you do this. So wisdom and sexuality, you do it only with, a, if you're a woman, with a man to whom you're married. Mm. Because then they enter in your holy place. They, they, it's the place of exclusivity. Not everybody enters there. Not everybody goes there. Sexuality is beautiful. It is the place of unity. The unity that you can't have with no one else. Mm. There's only one person with whom you can have that experience that reflects the image of God. Yeah. This is why when God speaks of sexuality biblically, I've done, I think, probably we've done a, a section on, on sexuality in some sense when we're we talking about divorce. Before, that's yes. right. Yeah. And so when God speaks about it, God uses the, it's the only, only thing that God uses as an image of engagement with him. Because human sexuality represents the most sacred, the most holy, uh, and the sec- there comes the second, the second thing that human sexuality achieve or represent. It's the worship. Mm. The worshiper is this reverential place where, you know, when you worship God, you open your heart to reverence Him. It becomes the most. He is the only, the most important. There is no one else, you know, above Him. 
And so whenever we place something else in the place of God, we worship it. It's like the violation of the second commandment. Mm. There shall not be to you the God of all. Do you see how it ties? Yeah. So the use of human sexuality outside of any other context is exactly the equivalent, the equivalent of idolatry. Right. This mm. commandment tying together. Yeah. So as far as human beings are concerned, Engagement in sexuality is equivalent of there shall not be to you the God of others. Mm. You shall not follow the customs of all the other nations who go and engage in sexual act in any way, any shape, any form outside the confine of its proper use. The same way the worship of God is only basically dedicated to God and God himself. Yeah. How do you get this image? Well, let's read scripture. Every time Israel went to engage with other gods, guess what the Lord calls it? Yeah, calls it adultery. Adultery. Yeah. So adultery is the engagement of sexuality with someone else other than your wedded partner, wedded yeah. spouse. I don't like to use partner, uh, wedded spouse. Yeah. So, um, and so when Israel went, if you read Ezekiel chapter uh, 16, let's read that text. It's quite an interesting uh, piece of reading uh, that is really worth looking at. Ezekiel chapter 16 and um, verse, let's have a verse 1. Um, so Ezekiel chapter 16, no, Ezekiel 16. Um, let's see if I've opened the proper text that I'm looking at. So that's 16 verse 1. And I'm going to read a little chunk of text here uh, to our listeners. The word of the Lord came to me, uh, son of man, confront Jerusalem with a detestable practice, detestable practices, and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says to Jerusalem. Your ancestry and birth were in the land of Canaanite. Your father was an Amorite. So he's describing the nation. Yeah. That's how nations start. Mm. The nation had a father and a mother. Guess who they were? Abraham and Sarah. Mm. So when he's saying this, he's literally saying something true. Your ancestry were where? From the land of the Canaanite, and your father was an Amorite, and your mother was Hittite. Okay? And on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, so this is a bit more imagery language. Nor were you washed with water to make you clean, nor were you rubbed with salt. So it's talking about the birth of the nation. Remember when the nation of Israel is born? This is Jacob. is born in, in Egypt, right? Who cared for this? If anything, people very despised them. You know, Pharaoh rose up and he wanted to squash these people, made them slaves. He didn't sort of look at, okay, their identity, they're God's people, they're beautiful. Let's, let me affirm them. He didn't. So this is what God is, this is what actually, you know, um, uh, is being affirmed. No one looked uh, on you with pity and had compassion enough to do any of these things. You rather, you were thrown into the open field on the day you were born. This is very image, Im imagery language and, and it depicts that it's poetic language. It's great. It's, you know, poetic prophecy, if you will. You were despised. Yeah, they were despised. Okay. And then I passed by and I saw you kicking in your blood. Okay. And as you laid in there on your blood, and I say, Leave. So, not a word. I redeemed you. That's what I said. Yeah. The, the language is, I redeemed you. I made you grow like a plant in the field. You grew and developed and entered puberty. 
you know, your breasts, a head formed. And he's describing her as like a woman. You know, your hair had grown and yet you were stuck naked. You know, you didn't have anything. So they pull her out of Egypt and they're in the desert and they started to be formed as a nation. And they started to, oh, yeah, we, we, we're pretty good. And then guess what happens? Later I passed by and when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love... Yeah. Yeah. I spread the corner of my garment over you. That's what actually it means in the Hebraic terminology. And and it, it actually goes, I, I, I covered your nakedness. In other words, I made love to you. If you find another th- terminology in Hebrew uh, idioms is, you know, if somebody sleeps with a father's wife, they've uncovered the father's nakedness. Right. Yeah. You see, yeah. So that's the terminology. So I say I covered you. In other words, I engaged in uh, in 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 an intimate act with you. And then he says, from then, I gave you my solemn oath and enter into a covenant with you. Mm-hmm. Declare the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. Yeah, that's it, exclusively mine. Yeah. And I bathed you with water and washed with the blood. Uh, from your blood and put ointment on you and I clothed you with an embroidered dress and put sandals, fine leather on you. I dressed you in fine linen and covered you with a costly garment. I adorned you with jewelry. I put bracelet on your arms and necklace around your neck and I put a ring. These are the signs of covenant right Mm. there. And then he goes on to, and you fame spread among the nations on the account of your beauty because the splendor I had given you made your beauty perfect, declares the Lord. But you trust in your beauty and use your fame to become a prostitute. Mm. All right? Yeah. You lavished your favors on anyone who passed by and your beauty became ease. You took some of your garment to make, you know, gaudy high places where you carried on your prostitution. You slept with others rather than me. Mm. So God is describing the prostitution, the adulterous Israel, Jerusalem. Yeah. And so what is he saying here? You are meant to stay in this covenant with me. Worship me. Mm-hmm. And yet you went and slept with the other God. You bow and reverence them. Let them enter in the most holy place that I was the only one to enter there. You build high places, place of reverence and worship. So every time, you know, adultery is committed, the desacralization is worship has been basically, if you soiled, yeah, desacralized. Yeah. So the second purpose of human sexuality, first one is a heart, second one is the worship of God. Because then there is the reverence between, this is why sexuality must be entered into with reverence by the two, so that there's no abuse or misuse of each other. We'll talk about that in a moment. All right. Well, we will. We'll talk, talk about that um, after this great song on Life FM. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God which is your spiritual act of worship and don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove
You're listening to 105.1 Life FM, Bendigo's Positive Choice. And Samuel, you were saying that um, intimacy is like is, is, is an act of worship. So yes. we were talking we we're talking about that. We were talking about uh, just during the break a, a little bit about the definitions. And I I have a question, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but I will. Um, <laughs> you were talking. Okay, I yeah, love being put on the spot. Yeah, we were talking about um, adultery. Mm. Um, between uh, you know, like a, a man and a woman and uh, and then you've got um, one of those people is then committed adultery with another person mm. but you but when we talk about worship we talk about idolatry which is the worship of other gods that's right and so my question to you basically is if we're looking at that that context of it being the physical act of oneness between a man and a woman at that level, but it's also an act of worship between you and God, then is the, is the act of adultery the physical act that happens at the human level mm-hmm. where you have then committed adultery um, with another person in the context of your marriage, but in that then you have actually committed idolatry because of your relationship with God, which God has given you already a um, a commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, and you've taken it back, you know, to um, you you will not worship the God of others. That that's the idolatry level that that we have this um, we have committed a sin against God, which is idolatry because we've not obeyed His word, but we've committed the sin of adultery. At the level of human humanness, because we've done adultery that way. I'm just trying to clarify because you sort of said it sort of seemed that you were saying that the same that it's the same thing. They're equivalent. But in my mind, well, yeah, is it, are they the same thing? Are they equivalent? Yeah, is this separation is where my head is going the right thing? Because I'm looking for that aha moment that I always get when we're talking about <laughs> stuff where my brain explodes, and uh, and I, yeah. And that that sort of seems logical to me, but is that how I should be viewing it? Okay, um, let's let's start by establishing the law of equivalence. You know, right? You know, <laughs> <laughs> if A equal B, it means what is true of A is true of B. Right. What is not true of A will not be true of B. Right. So that those things are equivalent. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Now, A can be an image of B. If A is an image of B, it means certain things. So I I looked at this flat-out objective equivalence, and I'm going to look at the law of imagery. So if A is an image of B, so certain things that are true of A will be true of B, but there will be some quality. So like you'll find everything that is in A, uh, now, everything that is in A is in B, but certain things that are in A will be lacking or missing in B. Okay, so quantify A and B. They are context. an image. Yeah. So let me give you, for example, man is the image of God. Yeah. But man is not the self-existent. You know, man doesn't exist by necessity of his own nature, right? Yeah, well, man is not God, but he's an image of God. Yeah, but yeah. it means man is God, but is not is God in some some respect and not God in some other respects. Mm. So because it's an image, all right. So for example, a 
picture of you on it, you know, an image, a photo of you. Yeah. You know, somebody say it's you in there, but there are certain things that are true about you that are that won't be true about that image. There are certain things. For example, that image is not capable of rational thought by itself. It's a picture. Yeah. Right? But everything that we see on you is what is in there. But you've got some other stuff that is true about you. Well, you can only really is... see the physical. You can't yeah, see yeah, yeah, yeah. the other aspects of me. This is what happens with uh, metaphors. They will break down at some point. Yes. But they meant to give us... Like when Jesus said, oh, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. You know, he's not saying that everything that is true about the kingdom of God is what is true about the master seed. Mm. It's that some aspects of the master seed will teach you about the kingdom of God. Okay. You see what I mean? Yeah. I so do. that's the law of imagery. Yeah. So now, when we say worship and, you know, uh, and sexual union are equivalent, they're equivalent in image. One is the image of other, the other. Mm. What worship is, is sort of the biggest one. And, and uh, in, sexual intimacy is, an, is the image of worship. How, how do we come to that particular conclusion? Because when children of God went to engage in idolatry, God calls it adultery. Yes. Now, idolatry is and, the worship of yeah. other gods rather yeah. than God. And adultery is the sleeping uh, with someone else who's not your spouse. Yeah, And I was giving the Ezekiel text to see how even God's in his terminology is using sort of sexual terms to describe the worship of Jerusalem uh, toward him and the covenant he had with her yeah. in Jewish idioms. And then uh, Jerusalem's engagement with you know, high places of worship of other gods like Baal and Nastartes and all these other gods. He says you have, you have committed prostitution. So the imagery there basically is saying that these two acts are equivalent in image. One is the image of the other. Right. Worship is the true picture, like yeah. God is the true, the true being, the one who existed necessarily, and we human beings are an image of him. Yeah. So we have personhood like he does. We have capacity for love, capacity for rational thought, which he does. But there are certain stuff, part of, of him that we don't have, like we're not, we're not self-existent. You know, we are not eternity, eternal past and future. We're only eternal in the future, not in the past, yeah. and all sorts of things. So uh, there are those things. We, we're not omniscient in the same way he is omniscient. Mm -hmm. We're not omnipotent the way he says. So this is incommunicable attributes we don't have. Yeah. So there will be certain things that are true about the worship of God that the sexual intimacy won't have. But sexual intimacy is an image. It's got some aspect of the intimacy we have with God. Now let me come to worship. Worship is the reverence of someone in the quality that they have to the exclusion of anyone else. When we worship God, it's only him who is worthy of that. Yeah. You can't. You can't mix him. You can't go, oh, you worship God and you've got something else you worship in the same title as him. Mm. You get what I'm saying so yeah. far? Okay. Now look at it. Your sexuality is to be engaged. I'm, I'm sorry, I say you, I mean everybody. It's the, yeah. the your, not just... Yeah, the, the all-encompassing you. Right, all, I understand. that's right, yeah. that's right. Yeah. So human sexuality is to be engaged only in this exclusive manner. With one exclusive, so consider for example, 
We live in, in, a, in, in a society that is sexually depraved, unfortunately, and sexuality is trivialized, so we don't see the sacredness of it anymore. No. But yet, we're still acting like it's sacred. Look at it, it's a sacred cow in our culture. If you don't believe certain things about sexuality in our culture, as it is right now, they will tell you it's sacred and they will punish you for it. Yeah. You'll be a heretic. Yeah. Like right now, as we we're talking, you and I will be in a category of a heretic when it comes to sexual morals, because everybody still considers and understands sexuality is sacred. Mm. Right? Yep. Now, it is so sacred that from the time a young man is born and until a young man dies, the young man need to engage into the sexual act only with one man, one woman. One woman. This is why only people, this is why fornication is not, fornication is the engagement of sexual before you're married. It was, it's not even a concept. It's, that is avon. It's deviation. Yeah. Fornication is deviation. And I'll, I'll give you all the deviations the Bible has, all, all, an entire list of these avants, these yeah. iniqu iniquities, yeah. the deviation. They, it's perverting sexuality. Mm. So, and so the woman, the young woman, would engage only once, not once, multiple times, but with one, only one. Yeah. And it's the only person to whom they give this reverence when it comes to sexuality. Mm. So worship is reverence to God. Only him and him alone. Yeah. You shall worship only the Lord. And sexuality is you shall only engage or give reverence. Let only one person, your spouse, wedded spouse, enter in that holy place. Mm. Those are the two things that are true about sexuality, are true about worship. Yeah. So when one goes and engage with someone else outside this arrangement, it's like they've desacralized worship, which is honor God and him alone. This is what God says, well, I did all this to you and you were mine exclusively and then you went and lavished your beauty to all the, all the others. Yeah, yeah. So you committed prostitution. You worshipped others. Mm -hmm. So in, in other words, there are kind of, when we talk about worship, we only see God. Okay, fine, that's fine. But there is the worship that happens between the spouse and the two spouses. When you engage in se sexual intimacy, it is a place of reverence. It's the only place where love is expressed. I'm, like uh, we, we, Churches haven't taught this properly. Mm. People engage in sexual act as it was just simply some sort of casual. Sometimes people even engage there for their own self sort of focused. I want to get this for me. Yeah, it's just it's just an experience. It's just that's right, it, and and it's a nice it's, experience. And so I want to get it as much as I can. I want to get my own bit in yeah. here. You know? yeah. And it doesn't matter how I get it. That's right. It is because of lack of understanding of the beauty of sexuality. So in that sense, when one engages in this particular act, uh, one is giving reverence to the person with whom they are engaging in. Okay. This is why sexuality is not just physical. Your soul is, 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 is tied into well, it. Well, there is that connection. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Your soul is into it. Your spirit is engaging. By the, when I get to the fourth um, uh, uh, yeah, reason for sexuality, you will find out that actually because of the sexual act, soul, spirit, and body is created through that act. It's because it's soul, spirit, and body that engage in it. Mm. You are not just your body. No. 
if you adjust your body, well, why is it when you shake somebody's hands, it's not considered as the same way as sexuality? Like, as a man, you can shake anybody else's hand. Yeah. But your sexual organs are not going to be touching any other. And, and that's also why it's so damaging. And it's interesting because there are conflicting um, things being said in culture at the moment yeah. around the sexual act and who can participate. Yeah. But a child that has been molested... Or, or even a young teenager that's been molested, they carry that that's right. scar, that hurt. Oh, yeah. And, and there's advertising on the television at the moment, you know, for, for people to get compensation. Yeah. And, uh, and even the person that's, that's reflected in the ad shows the agony on, yeah. on his face it, as an yeah. old man that's right. still remembering what happened to himself as a child and it's never been... So for people to constantly um, put it out as such a casual thing. Yeah. And even in our culture now, you know, talking about sexuality with small children and adults interacting with small children because of their preferences. Yeah. I mean, all of this is so abhorrent yeah. because you you know, we know from the past the damage that has happened to That's people right. in this space. That's right. And yet we are now almost legislating yeah. that it is okay to do this stuff. That's right. And so how, how, how does the world even think that that is a thing that we can be doing yeah. and that that is okay because it's right. your preference. Yeah. But that's not how it works yeah. because, like you say, we're not just the physical body. It's not just about whatever pleasure you might be getting out of it, but it's also what's happening in your spirit and in your soul. It desacralizes not only the human. They're like The one who sins, every other sin is committed outside the body. body. But this one is committed against the body. Yeah, exactly. It's committed against the temple of God. Yeah. This is why, you know, you know, being, you know, taken advantage of or being violated that way, yeah. you know, the, the, the punishment, the punishment for such sexual behavior, God had set this to be so sacred that the punishment for such sexual behavior was basically death. Yeah. But it tells you how important it is. Now, we have trivialized it, and yet we can't have it both ways. You can't have your no. cake and eat it too. And that's right. And the thing is, when that happens, you are, the death is happening to the person. That's right. Because you've died inside. Because it comes And you can yeah. see the evidence of that with people that have been abused. Hold that thought. We are going to have a look at the deviations. As we come back, or you're just about to say something else? No, because now you, you, you know, you're leading the program and you know we've come to the end of our program today. <laughs> oh, yes. And so don't, don't run away. We will come back on the next week because this is a, it's a, in, in a very important area of this commandment. Yes. And so we had to look at it in detail. So, you know, I, I'm not meaning Hold to finish the program for, for you. <laughs> but... Be hanging yeah. on there until we come next week uh, on the same question. All right. Well, we look forward to doing that next week on uh, Q&A with Samuel and <laughs> the, the, uh, the great discussion we're having on the Ten Commandments. Catch you all next week.